Welcome to another edition of Pragmatic Live. I'm Steve Johnson, Vice President of Products here at Pragmatic. With me today is Keith Finnick, who is Vice President of Software Analytics at Revolitics. Welcome, Keith. Thank you. Great. Um, so talk to me about uh, why product managers should be in tune with product usage or how they might use it? Yeah, well, I mean, with product management, it's a role that you need to, um, uh, that you need to understand your customer base, right? You need to understand who you're selling to. And uh, one of the best ways of understanding who you're selling to is, you know, ideally you're either sitting with the customer, watching them using your product, understanding the requirements, understanding what they're trying to get to with your product. So um, since obviously with uh, most of the time, it's not possible to, uh, to stay with your customer, you need a system, a systematic way how to collect that information. And um, by collecting information, from your application and knowing how people are interacting with your features, with your functionality, with whatever you have built, you can then validate whether the decisions you take as a product manager um, have are valid or you know whether there were issues that you missed or for example, people are using the product in a way that you never envisaged. Tell me a little bit about how Revolitics captures that information and how product managers get access to it. Yeah, so effectively what we do is we provide a, an SDK that you integrate with your software application. And that SDK with just 10 lines of code, it's a very quick integration, um, will start calling home to the Revolutic servers. And practically every 20 minutes or after an interval in time, um, that data gets captured on the Revolutic servers. It is then mined and we present that data, the raw data to collect into actionable reports. So we transform the raw data into uh, product management reports, there are reports related to engineering, to marketing. So out of the box, you get um, a visualization of what customers are doing with your actual software. And that visualization includes both like how they are converting, what's causing people to um, uh, churn, or what features are being used, what are not being used. So as a product manager, you can then um, understand better your user base. So market needs then what people do and what people say they do and what they actually do are three different things. Exactly. And, it, right? exactly. and we, we talk a lot about how, you know, a product manager should interview people and get what they say and even better observe people and see what they do. But with usage data, you can actually see what they do. Right. Definitely. Yeah. That's so give point. me some examples of what product managers or others would be looking for as they visualize this data. Like what feature stuff, uh, uh, usage by feature, or yeah, I mean there are various aspects. Um, for example, you can start with the very basic metrics of you know some people don't even know how uh, you know some com software companies don't even know how many people are actively using their software. So just that basic metrics of hey, do you have five thousand people active every month, or do you have like fifteen thousand people active every month? That might um, you know, change your perception on, you know, your deployment or your adoption rates. So after going into those basics, you might then want to start drilling down into the actual product. So, you know, do you have different user groups? Are they using the, the um, groups of features in different ways? So you might have a group of users who are using a set of features, another group of users using different set of features. So we had customers, for example, who by getting to know that they 
change their UI, they provided two um, UI options, for example, the basic mode and the advanced mode. So they observed how people are using the software and what features were being used together. They looked at the user flow analysis, for example, and then they issued a release of their software, which is, you know, more targeted towards different uh, user personas. Um, of course, there's the, uh, there, there are different phases, right, in the software development lifecycle. So kind of before you're actually deploying uh, a new version of your software, you might want to understand um, what target platforms uh, you, you want to target. So kind of we had other customers who are looking into, you know, should we spend, you know, six weeks of uh, QA to test on all the different operating systems? Or should we look at first, you know, which are the operating systems that our customers have and simply focus on that? A particular customer, they actually said they've saved, you know, tens of thousands of dollars every release just because they uh, avoided testing on stuff which will never be used anyway. So that's kind of pre-release cycle. And then there is obviously the post-release. So in, when building the roadmap, you have taken some assumptions. Maybe as a product manager, you uh, use your gut feeling uh, based on what you hear out on the market and you develop features and you throw, throw them out there. You might have even developed features because they were requested by customers. So then like back to your point, you know, what people say they want and what people actually do or really need, it's, uh, they can be quite diverse, you know? So looking at how people adopt those new features you implement might uh, help you validate whether, you know, what they were asking for is actually what they actually needed. So that's something that, and you know, we have customers who have, <laughs> who were scratching their head as to, you know, why is this happening? Why are people doing this like insane behavior with their software? Then when they dug deeper, they found out that people had these strange requirements, you know, custom requirements. You know? Some, uh, sometimes you, you, you feel like shooting yourself when you like build this, you know, accounting package and people just use it, use it as a calculator, you know, so. And it's, um, it's, uh, it varies from the very, very early stages of, you know, launching a new product or a new feature all the way down to maybe doing A-B testing when you have different builds or um, when you're going into uh, testing, for example, we have the system also collects data related to you know, if there are any crashes that occur rather than crashes or exceptions. So you would be able to tackle problems before they are reported by customers, thereby keeping customers more happy uh, because, you know, they, before they even reported or noticed the problem, you have already a build out there that fixes the issue. I know through my career, there've been a number of times when customers keep asking me for a feature that I know we have. So obviously there's something wrong in the way we're presenting the user interface. Um, can I get any insight in, in a situation like that? Yeah, I mean, that's a, an interesting point. Uh, one of the, uh, you know, one of the, the types of reports that we provide is related to user flow analysis. And that literally shows you what are the, for example, the 10 things that people do as soon as they open the application or uh, what do they do once they click on this menu button. So by looking at user flow analysis, you are able to follow a user, not an individual user, you can go down to the individual, but it's sometimes more effective to look at the aggregate data and see, you know, what percentage of users are getting lost on the step three of the wizard, for example. Um, do I have a problem where people are not understanding where to um, get access to this feature. So they're clicking around like five different items before they actually reach it. What do they do exactly after using that feature? You know, do they close the application? Do they move to uh, another feature group? So, you know, is there a way maybe for us to provide shortcuts because people are always taking the same five steps to do something. 
And uh, that was something that, uh, you know, we had published actually a case study with one of our customers that um, had, it was a very old application. It was a legacy application in the CAD CAM industry. Um, they had, you know, over a thousand to hundred features in this like <laughs> elephant of a product. And they were at a stage where they really wanted to improve the UI, you know, totally change the UI to a more modern look and feel. However, they wanted to uh, first study how people were using the exact feature. So what they did is they spent uh, around a year or so analyzing, you know, what feature groups were being used by different users. Then they totally changed the UI to a new like uh, ribbon layout interface. And um, they simplified the UI in a way that all the feature groups that were used together were grouped up under the same uh, set of functions. So customers that were using their software to uh, do certain features to, to do certain functions uh, were not really, um, you know, uh, inundated with all the other noise of features that they didn't really care about. And, you know, with, with usage intelligence, that's something you can do very easily with usage intelligence because you have all the data. They actually estimated that it would have taken them around three years to actually do this if they didn't have usage intelligence embedded in the product. And, you know, obviously it, it saved them a bunch of money and it, it allowed them to go to market much faster. It's the, the instrumentation at the product level that we've come to expect from uh, managing a website, exactly. right? I can see in a website, I can see cart abandonment and in, you know, the analog to that would be in usage data. It's like they go through three steps of the wizard and then they bail or they always take the defaults on every page of the wizard. So why the heck are we having the wizard? So that kind of visibility up to now, we've really only been able to do by observing with our eyes. So this is pretty cool. Give me some tips on how I might use this information to persuade leadership. It seems very often we say, here, here are the facts, and leadership says, well, oh, I don't like that fact. <laughs> you know? yeah. Or we've decided to discontinue this, pro this feature, and you know, leadership is like, oh, but that's my favorite feature. You know, how can we use usage data to make our point? Yeah, so I spoke with uh, many product managers actually that have a situation in their company where, um, you know, everybody has an opinion and uh, kind of it's uh, sometimes it's difficult to argue against, you know, uh, opinions of the hippo in the room, which is kind of either the highest paid person or, um, you know, the loudest person in the room. So uh, I feel that by having data to back up your decisions, um, it would be much easier to convince anyone uh, of, you know, what should be the, um, the, the route uh, that, uh, that you need to go through. So um, having data, sometimes if you're in a conference room with six people, there are six different opinions, right? It's, uh, you know, who, who there's, without data, no, everybody's right, right? Everybody has the right to their own opinion. Yes. And, Exactly. And um, I believe uh, you might know, I don't know who, who was the guy that mentioned that. If everyone has an opinion, kind of, then let's go. No, it's... Uh... Oh, yeah. Um, it, if we have the data, let's look at the data. If all we have is opinions, we'll go with mine. Then let's go with mine. Exactly. And that's like literally what happens in, uh, in such uh, like roadmap decisions, you know. I mean, I know Microsoft... Uh, stop supporting operating systems after seven years, except when they don't, right? Sometimes they extend it because, oh man, did we love that OS. Um, I know that, that Apple is, uh, Apple all discontinues, you know, two revs back or three revs back pretty quickly. Um, 
How real is that for a typical dev team or a product team today dealing with multiple operating systems and knowing when it's time that they can safely drop support? Yeah, so, I mean, I, we see this very frequently. I mean, I had a chat like just 30 minutes ago with, uh, with, with a guy up here in the, in the, in the industry conference. And uh, they were saying like, listen, we have a product that's like 10 years old. You know, it's been, we've been adding features to it. We never, ever removed a feature. And the reason we never removed it because we don't want to like uh, irate any one of our customers who might be using that feature. The thing is, we have no idea who or how many people are using it. So uh, a lot of companies, especially with products that are like five plus years old, you know, they tend to drag a baggage of legacy features and functionalities that might have been great when they were launched, but you know, the times have changed. They might have uh, introduced new features that replace old features, but um, you know, the only way to know whether or not it's safe to remove uh, support for a particular, whether it's an operating system, whether it's a platform, whether it's uh, an old feature is by knowing whether people are using them. And even having said that, it doesn't mean that if you have like 10% of your users still using a feature, then you cannot sunset it. If you have a better feature and you have, uh, you know, replaced it with, you know, more modern functionality, then it might be a case of educating your users to uh, move to the new functionality. So yes, especially with, uh, with you know, older software, that's uh, it's a very um, real problem that product managers face. And, you know, right now we're also facing a number of customers who are, uh, or, or even prospects moving from uh, like legacy desktop into cloud. Mm -hmm. And that's once again, is another decision that uh, is related to this. It's like, okay, what should we port to the cloud and what should we leave behind? You know, how do we know, should we implement, should we spend like, you know, a couple of years implementing everything we have in our desktop application to move it to the cloud? Or should we just look at what is currently being used and how we can make it better in the cloud and, you know, start with a, cl uh, with a clean slate. And that's a very, um, a very that's common very situation. Real right that, now. I, I was talking to a client just yesterday and they're like, we have our old system, we're moving to the cloud. We don't know what we can safely leave behind. What, you know, what's the 20% that meets 80% of the usage. Um, so having product usage data would be key to that. Um, is, any advice to product managers on selling the idea of embedding, having usage data? Uh, uh, produced within the product? I mean, is this an easy sale or is this a hard sale? Yeah, well, it depends a lot on the mentality the, of within the company. Uh, I mean, there are some companies or, or executives who are very, very data-driven. There are others who still trust their gut feeling more than anything else. Um, sometimes data can kind of... Uh, conflict with somebody's gut feeling so that might be seen as a oh, you know what let's go with my idea I'll don't introduce any new sources of intelligence uh, into the, 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 the this uh, office but uh, I would say most companies have now realized that um, having usage data like that usage data has a direct revenue impact on the company because if you're going to save time uh, in QA you're going to save time in the building the roadmap you're going to make less mistakes you're not going to throw stuff out there that is not used because you have observed hopefully uh, what people wanted or what, what people needed so um, it has a direct revenue impact and this is not a licensing system where obviously uh, you know you have the one dollar um, label with every license that you sell um, but it's still 
um, applies directly to all the all your all the different pieces within your software development lifecycle. So you start saving money from the first day you start building the product until um, its end of life. So I believe uh, by understanding this, management are now getting more data ingrained and kind of they're trusting um, decisions based on numbers rather than you know just the gut feeling. It's no longer a case. There's so much competition that there's no longer a, a um, um, space for you to make mistakes. You know, if you make a mistake and it takes you six months to fix it, kind of, you're losing out against your competitors. At Pragmatic, we've always talked about how important it is to combine your insight, you know, your judgment with data. Um, you know, in God we trust, all others must bring data. Um, and I can't imagine running a website without analytics. I now can't imagine running a product without analytics. And I, uh, I hope that the people listening in today are embedding analytics into their products as well. Keith has written more about this topic in an article in our fall issue, fall 2019 of The Pragmatic. It's called Making the Case for Usage Data in the Product Development Lifecycle. So you can drill down on this topic. Join us again next week for more tips, tricks, and trends. <laughs>